His name was James Roebling, and most people thought he was out of his mind. James was an accomplished engineer with a crazy dream of building a suspension bridge over the Niagara River Gorge, just upstream from this famous landmark, Niagara Falls, a place where 37 million gallons of water a minute pour into the river below. The year was 1851, and the American public believed that this was a recipe for disaster. The gorge was 825 feet across, 200 feet down, straight down. On top of that, suspension bridges did not have a track record of success. In England and France, suspension bridges had collapsed under the weight of mere humans, killing hundreds of people. And in the U.S., a number of smaller bridges, built mainly for the movement of livestock, had collapsed as well. And so, as James Roebling spoke about a bridge that could support a train, no one was surprised that betting people were putting their money on the gorge, not on the bridge. And here's why. Because the challenge of spanning this chasm was just too great. Today, there's another chasm that is very great, the one that exists between the church and the world. This week, I read that six out of ten Americans believe that the church is irrelevant. And notice this, only one out of three pastors, one out of three pastors believe the church is making a positive impact in our culture. One of the most important questions a church can ask is this, what kind of impact are we making in our community? What kind of impact are we making in this world? What kind of impact are we making in the lives of the people who are part of our church family? What kind of bridges are we building? And that's an important question, not just for a church to ask. That's an important question for us to ask as individuals. What kind of influence do you have in your family? If you're married this morning, what kind of impact are you having on your spouse? If you're a parent or a grandparent, what kind of influence, what kind of impact are you having on your kids and your grandkids? What kind of influence do you have at work with your neighbors or people at school? Today we're continuing our series called The Teacher Who Changed the World. And today we're going to look at what Jesus taught about becoming a person of influence. <clears throat> now we're going to look at some verses in Matthew chapter 5. If you've got one of the Bibles that we've provided, that's going to be on page 786. And we've seen in these past few weeks that this sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount, is all about Jesus coming as a king to establish his kingdom. And Jesus is telling people that an entirely different kind of life is possible when you decide to follow me. And following Jesus means that you embrace him as your savior, the person who can rescue you. You embrace Jesus as your Lord or your master, the one who calls the shots in your life. And this is really important. Following Jesus means embracing him as your teacher, the one who shows you and me how to live in this world. And one of the critical things that Jesus wants to teach us is how to make an impact in the world. And church, I believe this. I believe that deep down, that's exactly what we want. We want to know that our life is making a difference, that our life counts for something. We want to do more than just get up and go to work and go to school and go to the movies and go online and go through the motions. We want to know that what we're doing day in and day out really matters. It's like the, the famous line that Russell Crowe delivered in the movie Gladiator. The things we do in this life echo in eternity. Look at this first sentence on your outline. In order to make a difference in the world, believers, followers of Jesus, 
must build bridges of influence that connect the church and the culture. So the question is, how in the world do we actually do that? Well, Jesus is going to teach us. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice in Jesus' words is the word salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, when Jesus said this, he really got people's attention because salt was really important. It was an incredibly valuable commodity. Roman soldiers during the time of Jesus were paid in salt. They didn't get cash. They didn't get a check or direct deposit into their bank account. They got a bag of salt. How many of you have heard that statement, he's not worth his salt? That's where that comes from. A soldier that wasn't doing a very good job was said to be not worth his salt. So salt was really important and really valuable. Now look at the words of Jesus again. He says, you are. Now imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, hey, you, you are the salt of the earth. And notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? One day, one day you're going to become the salt of the earth. One day when you get your act together, one day when you memorize enough Bible verses, one day when you know enough theology, you will be the salt of the earth. No, he's saying right now, if you have decided to follow me, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. I think it's really interesting that in Bible times when a baby was born, they would rub the entire body of that baby in salt. Now just... Get a picture of that. A little baby, you know, they got salt rubbed all over their body. And think about the words of Jesus. He says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born what? Some of you know the answer. What is it? Born again. He has that conversation with Nicodemus, unless you're born again. And imagine this. When somebody is spiritually born, it's like Jesus is rubbing salt all over you and saying, hey, you are now the salt of the earth. You now are a person of influence. But church, this is critically important for us to understand. You cannot make a difference in the world unless you are different. I remember one Sunday I was sitting in church where you are and somebody else was speaking. And the pastor was talking about these verses and he said, here's a question that I really want you to consider. If somebody accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I really thought about that. You know, if somebody hired a private investigator and they followed you around all week long, would there be enough evidence, enough hard evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to be the salt of the earth, your beliefs and your behavior need to be different from the other people in the world who don't follow me. Jesus was saying, you need to be like me. In fact, do you know what the word Christian means? Little Christ that we live the way Jesus would live if he were standing in our place, that we live with love and compassion and hope and power and peace and purpose. Jesus wants our character to be conformed to his character so that we become more and more like him. And that's what it means to be the salt of the earth. Now, let's take a look at this verse again. You are the salt of the earth, and Jesus continues, but, but, If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, it may seem rather strange for us to think about salt not being salty. But again, in Bible times, salt was distilled from seawater. And so often it had all of these contaminants. And sometimes people would try to use this salt to preserve their food, and it just didn't work. 
because it wasn't salty. So what did they do? They threw it out. And they didn't want to throw it where other plants would be affected by the salt because it still had some salt contact. They threw it on the path where people trampled on it. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And this was his point. When Christians live in a way that is not different from the world, they lose their influence. They lose their saltiness. However, and this is really important, Jesus is not calling his followers to a life of pretense where we pretend that we're someone we're not. Let me ask you this. In fact, I'll just have you fill in the blank because I suspect that most, if not all of you, have heard this statement before. The reason I don't go to church is the church is full of... Oh, you guys know this. Yeah, there might even be some here this morning. You never know. Now, let me tell you where that word comes from because this is a really intriguing word and an important word. In Greece, they had these amphitheaters where they would do plays. And the actors and the actresses on stage would have this mask, and inside the mask was this megaphone, so when they spoke, everybody could hear them. And a hypocrite, that word, referred to somebody who was on stage wearing a mask. Somebody who was playing a part. Somebody who was pretending to be someone they weren't. That's what a hypocrite literally was. Now, did Jesus ever call anybody a hypocrite? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Matthew 23. Not once, but seven times. He is really upset with his group of religious leaders and he says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because what they say and the way they live doesn't match. Because they would tell you, hey, we really love God. But do they really care about people? People that were hurting People who needed to know God, they really didn't. They weren't concerned about building bridges. They wanted to stay on their own little island of pride and self-righteousness. And Jesus says, this is not the way God wants you to live. Now look at this statement on your outline. It says this, that in order to be the salt of the earth, you must be authentic. Authentic, you have to be real. Somebody who's not wearing a mask. Somebody who's not pretending that you're better than you really are. And think about this. Think about the kind of person that you were naturally drawn to. Here's person number one. Let me describe person number one. This is somebody who wants you to think that, that they're just, they're really, really good. And everything in their life is kind of perfect. And you ask this person, so how's your marriage? Oh, it's great. It's like, you know, the honeymoon never ends. You ever fight? Oh, no, we never fight. We never go to bed angry. What about the kids? Oh, you know, little Johnny, little Jill, they are just angels. They never misbehave. When I tell them to do something, they do it the first time. No questions asked. Really? Wow, that's amazing. What, do you ever struggle with any temptations? Oh, no, I've risen above that. I'm just so spiritual. Now, here's, here's a second person. You're having a conversation, and they tell you, you know, um, I made a decision to follow Jesus. But man, I'm not perfect and neither is my life. You know, there's so many, so many doubts that I have about God still. And, you know, sometimes I really struggle with, with temptation and, and sometimes I say things that hurt other people. Sometimes I spin the truth to make myself look better than I really am. But I really love Jesus and I'm trying to follow him. And I, I do see that he's, he's making changes in my heart. Now, which of those two people are you naturally drawn to? The person who is real, the person who is authentic. And, and church, this is something that I have, I have learned. When you're honest, 
about your life, when you're honest about yourself, when you admit that you have doubts and struggles, that sometimes you fall into temptation and sometimes you fall down because of temptation, you know what God does? He runs to meet you. And as God runs to meet you, he works in your heart and he makes you more like who? You know the answer, right? If it's, yeah, it's Jesus. He makes you more like Jesus. And as you become more and more like Jesus, you become saltier and saltier, which means that you're going to have more and more influence, which is exactly what God wants. Take a look at the statement on your outline. It says this, just as salt preserves food, our purpose is to preserve our world for moral decay by what we say and do to preserve our world from moral decay by what we say and do. And check out this next statement. It says this, just as salt can become contaminated and lose its saltiness, this is what Jesus was getting at. Christians can lose their effectiveness when they are contaminated by the values and lifestyle of the world. On Friday night of this week, I was at an event called Secret Church, and I was talking to our worship team about it this morning. This is an event where people gather here in the United States and even around the world to study God's word, to pray for the persecuted church. It was an event started by a pastor, his name is David Platt, when he was in Birmingham, Alabama. And it was based on his experience in the Middle East where Christians gather at the risk of their own life. They are a secret church. Nobody can know that they're gathering and they're so hungry to hear God's word that they will sit for hours and hours and hours just to study the Bible and to pray. And so this event is designed to kind of mirror that, and so it begins typically around 6 o'clock. It goes to midnight or later. And I was so encouraged because I was in a home attending Secret Church, and Chris and I looked around, and there were about 20 people there, and they were all in their 20s. And I thought, Lord, this is amazing. And here's what... I wanted to share with you from that experience, um, David Platt was talking um, for hours and hours about the authority of Scripture and how people in America in increasing numbers are rejecting the authority of the Bible. Now here are some very sobering statistics. In 2011, 10% of Americans said they did not believe there was a God behind the Bible. In other words, this is just a, a human book. God didn't write the book. Just five years later, in 2016, that number had more than doubled to 22%. People that don't believe that this book is divinely inspired. Now, here's another statistic. Americans who believe the Bible is totally accurate in all it teaches. This is from 1991, 46%. I mean, back in the 90s, it was less than half. Now, it's 33%. Just a third of the people in America believe that. And check this out. Americans who believe the Bible is sufficient to teach us how to live in this world. And this is broken down into age segments. You can figure out where you are. Um, first group is elders, born before 1946. 65% believe that, that the Bible can teach us how to live in this world. For those who are baby boomers, I know that's some of you in this room, between, born between 46 and 64, that number was 56. Generation X, born between 65 and 83, 40%. And then the millennials, between 1984 and 2002, 27%. So in what direction is that number going? It's going down. And the question is, what's going to happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now? How many people will really believe that this is God's word that teaches us how to live? Now here is the most sobering statistic. 
for me personally, and maybe for you as well, it has to do with pastors, senior pastors, lead pastors. And here's the statistic. Senior pastors who believe that in-depth education about the Bible is essential to spiritual growth. Only 60% of pastors, lead pastors in America, believe that. 40% of senior pastors in America don't think the Bible is necessary for somebody to grow spiritually. Is that shocking? You know, what's going on? Well, it's real simple. The culture is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the culture. So what do we do? Well, there are some people who say, you know what we need to do? We need to just retreat from the world because I don't want to get contaminated. Right? Hey, lock the doors and let's just have a prayer meeting and ask Jesus to come back right now because it's scary out there. Have you seen the world? It's a mess. Is that what Jesus is after, church? Absolutely not. He says, hey, get out there. Go engage this world. You are the salt of the earth, so go live like it. But here's the thing. How can we do that? How can we influence others more than they influence us? And this is a huge question for our kids and for our grandkids. And here's the answer. You want to be a person of influence in this world, a person of impact? Then you stay close to Jesus Christ and let him impact you. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was thinking because he says, okay, you're the salt of the earth. Let me tell you something else about who you are. And he said this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Doesn't make any sense at all. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, when Jesus is talking about a city on a hill that has light, he may have been thinking about the city of Jerusalem. Here's a, a picture of Jerusalem on a hill at night. And look at these words again. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. It's not possible. In the same way, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the room. I remember Chris and I were going through some stuff in our garage um, Last year, we were getting ready to move, and I found this big cardboard box, and it had a bunch of toys um, that belonged to our kids, and man, it was like jackpot. I found all these really cool toys, and one of them, I had this Moonglow Frisbee. Anybody ever have a Moonglow Frisbee? Oh, yeah, those are the best. And we had these Moonglow balls. We had this football, and they had the stripes on it, and you hold it up to the light, and then you can go out in the dark and play catch. I had a basketball, a Moonglow basketball. But you know what? If you turn the light out in the garage, they didn't glow. Why? Because they hadn't been next to the light. And even when you play with one of those things, you know, they start to fade after a while. You have to go back in the house and hold it up to the lamp and you run outside and you play Frisbee. And I thought about this. What is it that enables us to shine? I mean, if we are the light of the world, we've got to have close contact with Jesus because he is the light of the world. And I love how Jesus continues here in this next verse. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men. Why? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, did Jesus ever do any good deeds? This is an easy question, okay? Nod your head yes, because that's the answer. Jesus did all kinds of good deeds. I mean, think about this. You know, just following Jesus around and seeing him open the eyes of a blind man. Or one of my favorite stories, there's this funeral procession and everybody's just, you know, crying their faces off because this young man has died and Jesus says, whoa. 
and he raises this young man to life and reunites him with his mom. I mean, can you imagine? And what did people do when they saw Jesus do these incredible miracles? They praised God. We've never seen anything like this. Praise God. Now, let me ask you this. What should happen in our day when Christians do good deeds? What is the purpose of those good deeds? Is it for people to say, oh, man, you are awesome. Hey, would you autograph my Bible? Hey, could I get a picture? Is that the purpose? Our good deed should point people where? Football players get it, right? To God, to God, because God is the one who can dispel the deepest darkness. Do you know anybody living in darkness? I do. God can bring light into the darkest situation. And that was the mission of Jesus Christ. And I love this verse, John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, this is a promise, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if you're a Christian this morning, you need to understand this. This is so important. The reason that you are the light of the world is because Jesus lives inside you. Look at this verse from 2 Corinthians. It tells us this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay pots or clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And I love the imagery of this verse. Somebody once said that Christians should always be humble because they're nothing more than a bunch of crackpots. Yeah, we are. We are imperfect people depending on the perfect promises of God. And church, in the last few days, I've had conversations with people here in our church family that have really demonstrated the beauty of this verse. And these are people that are going through incredible challenges. Could be a health challenge, could be a family challenge, could be a financial challenge. And what I've seen is this, people who are depending on God People who are willing to let Jesus shine out of their hearts to point people to the hope that only Jesus can bring. And Christian, this morning, listen carefully. What you need to do is let people see Jesus living in you. Do not hide your light. Be honest about your struggles. Let people see that it is in your weakness that God displays his strength. Let people see that even though you don't have the answers, you know somebody who does. Let people see that you know a God who can heal you when you are hurting. And here's the flip side of that. When you see people that are hurting, when you need to, to do something, follow the command of Jesus. Be a light. Build a bridge. And in order to do that, we have to be available. And that's the next thing I want you to see. In order to be the light of the world, you and I must be available to people. Now, who showed us how to be available? Well, Jesus did. There's a verse in the Gospel of John. It's John 1.14 that says, And the Word, a reference to Jesus Christ, became flesh, became a human being, and made his dwelling among us. One translation says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Exactly what he did. He entered 
our world. And listen, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be the light of the world, you have to live the way Jesus lived. And Jesus was willing to step out of his world and enter our world. And listen, in the same way, that's exactly what we have to do. Guys who are married, you need to step out of your world and into the world of your wife. Wives, you need to step out of your world, into the world of your husband. Parents, step into the world of your kids because that's what we need to do to build a bridge of influence into the life of the people that God has placed in our life. But is that easy? No. It's really, really hard. Why? Because the truth is, a lot of us like to stay in our own little world. Because it's safe there. It's comfortable there. It's hard to understand people who think differently than we do. Even people in our own family. But listen, church, you know this. Ministry is messy. It's really messy. But Jesus got messy, and if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to do exactly the same thing. And Jesus said this, if you want to follow me, you've got to surrender your life to me. But when you do, you will discover what it means to truly live. And it's as we step out of our world into the world of other people that we find out what life is all about, this life that Jesus promised us. And, and here's the statement that I want you to see. Just as light penetrates the darkness and enables people to see, our purpose, church, individually, collectively, is to penetrate the darkness of our world. How? Through good deeds to enable people to see the greatness of God. This is exactly what Jesus was teaching. Now, this raises a really important question. Okay, good deeds. So I got to do some more good deeds this week. All right, let me make a list. <laughs> What should be your motivation for doing good deeds? So you can check them off your list. Oh, God, look what I did. Whoa, man, I'm something, God. Aren't you glad to have me in your family? You know, there are people who believe this, that the more good stuff I do, the more God's going to love me. The more proud God's going to be of me. I've had people tell me, hey, here's how it works in terms of being accepted by God. God takes all the good stuff you've done, he puts it over here, takes all the bad stuff you've done, puts it over there, and if the good outweighs the bad, man, you're good. You're good to go. You're in with God. There's only one problem with that teaching. Do you know what it is? It's not found in the book. That's not how you're accepted by God. If you're a Christian this morning, the reason you're accepted by God is not because of what you do or have ever done or ever will do. It's because of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. So the question is, okay, what did Jesus do for me? I'm glad you asked, because I love to tell people. I love to remind myself all the time what Jesus has done for me. And there is a beautiful verse in the book of Colossians. It's Colossians 1, 13 and 14, and it says this about Jesus. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that one verse contains the bad news and the good news. Because the bad news is we are living in darkness apart from Jesus. We are born into a dark world. We have dark hearts. And the Bible calls this darkness sin because we want to go our own way. We're focused on ourselves. We don't love God the way we should or love our neighbor as we should. And so this is, this is the reality, the spiritual reality. We're over here in the darkness. Where's God? He's in the light. And so there's a separation between light and darkness. But does God want us to stay in the dark? Absolutely not. Because listen, we're in a really serious situation because it's not just that we're separated from God. Because God's just. He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And Jesus, listen, Jesus 
Never step back from telling people the truth. If you don't come out of the darkness, you're going to stay in the darkness forever. Did Jesus ever talk about hell? He did. You almost never hear that word even mentioned in Christian circles, Christian churches, or Christian books today. You know why? Because people don't want to hear it. But Jesus said, this is a reality. And God does not want you to spend eternity there. He wants you to be with him. And that's what the good news is all about. God made a way for us to come into the light. How many of you like Christmas? I love Christmas. It's a story of the light coming into the darkness. Jesus becomes a human being. God the Father sends God the Son to earth. And Jesus lives a perfect life. And because he's perfect, he can be our substitute. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus is willing to die in our place. God puts our sin on Jesus and punishes him in our place. And this, this wrath of God against sin the Bible talks about is poured out on Jesus instead of us. But Jesus doesn't stay dead. We just celebrated Easter, Resurrection Day. Every Sunday we celebrate Resurrection Day. Jesus is alive. So listen, we can have a brand new life. A life of peace and power and purpose. A life of honoring God. Now, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Okay, great. I have this new life, and I need to do these good things, but why should I do them? Well, listen, you don't have to do them to earn God's favor. You already have God's favor. He already loves you. And, and my friend Jeff says this a lot, and I love it. You can never do anything that will make God love you any more, and you can never do anything that will make God love you any less. That's absolutely true. So why should we want to do good deeds? And here's the answer. Because we're thankful. Because we've been rescued by God. You want to say, God, thank you. In fact, I had a, a friend who was a pastor, and he used to say this. When you become a follower of Jesus, your whole life should be a living thank you note to God. Absolutely. And it's not just that we're thankful, but we should want other people to get rescued as well. And that is our, our motivation for doing these good deeds. And church, what is the... What is the end goal of all of this? What is the bottom line? This drama of redemption, this rescue mission that Jesus accomplished for us, what is, what is the purpose? And here's the answer, the glory of God. That God would get the credit, that God would be praised, that God would be worshiped, that God would be adored. And here's what I want you to see. Seeing the greatness of God leads people to glorify God. When people see the things that we do because we love Jesus, when they see the good deeds, the compassion, the love, it points them to God and they glorify Him. Listen, if you're going to make a difference with your life, if you're going to be salty, you've got to get out of the salt shaker. Seriously. We can't stay clumped together. We've got to get out there and get involved with people's lives. We've got to build bridges. We've got to let the light shine inside us the light of Jesus and I was thinking about this earlier in the week on Thursday mornings pastor Phil and I get together with a group of young men who are very serious and intentional about following Jesus and we've been talking about our mission in this world and we're going through some material that was written by pastor Randy Pope and he talks about carrying out God's mission by going across the street across the tracks and across the ocean and that's that's a great description are we willing to go across the street, across the tracks, and across the ocean? And I was thinking, 
about our upcoming missions trip to Honduras, and I am so excited. We have over 20 people, church, that are going to be going to Honduras to shine the light of Jesus and to be salty. And next week, we're going to have a special presentation by John Hernandez, who's the director of CIN Children's Impact Network, and they work really hard to rescue kids, kids that are neglected, abused, abandoned, and I've seen the video that you're going to see next week, and it is a powerful video of a girl that was rescued from human trafficking who came out of the incredible darkness into God's marvelous light. And it was because of the ministry of CIN, and we're going to talk about how God can enable us to be partners with them in rescuing these kids. So stand by for that next week. But you know, as I, let me show you this. I think we have a picture here. I love this picture. Um, we go to the villages in Honduras and we meet with the kids and these kids are really valuable to God. Next week I'm, I'm going to be speaking about um, what Jesus taught about the value of children. And as I looked at that picture, there was a verse that came to mind. It's from the book of Isaiah and it says this. If you spend yourselves... If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Isn't that incredible? In the church, as we close this morning, there are a couple of questions, several questions I want you to consider. They're on your outline. Here's the first. Have you made the decision to come into the light? You decided to follow Jesus. And look at the, the next question. If you're a follower of Christ... Which of these do you need to focus on more? Being authentic, being real, or being available? If you're going to be salt and light, which do you need to focus on more? And then this question, to whom can you build a bridge of influence? Now listen, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, our purpose is not just to study the Bible and close our Bible and go through the doors and never apply what we've learned. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says, or you are just fooling yourself. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to stop talking in just a minute, and Bruce is going to play some, some music, but I want you to use that time to pray, and here's what I want you to pray. Ask God to bring to mind the name of somebody to whom you need to build a bridge. Could be somebody in your family, somebody at work, somebody in your neighborhood. And here's what might happen. God might immediately bring somebody to mind. Maybe he won't, and you'll need to continue that prayer. But as God would impress somebody on your heart, your mind, write that name down. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Think about what that person needs. Now, maybe you don't know. Maybe it's a person across the street, and you don't even know their name. So you can just write, my neighbor across the street, God. I need to find out their name. But if you want to find out what they need, what do you have to do? You have to ask them exactly. You have to talk to them and listen to them. But you know what? That's true of the people that live under your same roof too, isn't it? You have to slow down and talk to them and listen to them and find out what they need. And then the follow-up is ask God to show you how to meet that need. So church, can we do this? Just, just bow your head. Bruce, if you want to start playing the music, let's just talk to God and ask him the question. Father, show me the name of the person that you want me to build a bridge to.
so thankful this morning that you've called us to be bridge builders, to reach out to people and to care about them, to try to figure out what they need and find a way to meet those needs. Father, I pray for our church. God, you've placed us in a very strategic location right here on Boynton Beach Boulevard. And you knew, Lord, years ago that you would put us between a hospital and a school. You'd put us in a place where there are so many rooftops, so many families, so many people with so many needs. And God, I pray that as we leave this place, that it will be like salt, leaving the salt shaker, God, that we would go out and build bridges of influence so that people will know that you love them. And God, I pray for the person who may be here this morning who's never really made that decision to come out of the darkness into your light. God, I pray that right here, right now, that in their heart they would simply express this to you in their own words. God, I need you. God, I, I would confess that I'm a sinner. I've failed so many times and I want to turn away from that failure and that sin and I want to embrace Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again for my sins and God, I just want to follow him. I want a new life. And God, that new life is available to anybody who will trust Jesus Christ. Father, your word says that the gospel is your power for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And God, I pray this. Help Boynton Beach Community Church be a different statistic. God, help us to push back against the darkness. Help us to penetrate the darkness with your light and with the life of Jesus. God, help us in terms of our beliefs and our behaviors to become more and more like Jesus so that people will know you, God, and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.